This morning, I am going to jump right into it, and I'm going to um, break all custom and not share a story. I know, I know. Uh, sorry, you'll have to find out about Archer's life next week. So, uh, I have got friends in the states that listen to the messages, and they're like, "Jesse, I just like to listen at least even to the first part, so I can catch up to see with like what's what's going on with Archer. How's he doing? He's great." He's great. He woke me up too many times last night, so I'm a bit bitter. So he doesn't get a story this morning, you know. Um, So, no, that's awesome. But can we just pray? Father, we have come before you many times already in worship and prayer this morning. But, Lord, as we as we come to the final part of the morning, at least at least for this this section of our morning, Jesus, I pray that our our spiritual ears would be opened in a way they have never been opened before. Lord, I pray that our spiritual eyes would be opened, Jesus, this morning. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive your word. Father, we we don't want to leave this place unchanged. Father, we don't want to go day by day staying unchanged, untransformed, unmoved by your word. And Lord, this morning, the cry of our heart is to be impacted by your word, Jesus, that brings life everlasting, that cuts sharper than a two-edged sword, Father God, cuts to bone and marrow. Lord, would you, and it's only you that can do it, would you do your work this morning in the mighty name of Jesus? Amen. Amen. I, I, um, we, we are in the series, New is Greater Than Better, a series on the kingdom. Um, me and Angie have had some of the best conversations around the kingdom of God and what is it and how is it, where is it, who done it. Um, and, and one of the things that is, is deep on my heart this morning is to try and unpack a little bit of the, maybe the snippet that I understand about it. But I just, I would really encourage you that the, the first thing is there's so much language that may be familiar. And I would just encourage us not to say, yep, I got that part. Yep, I understand that part. Yep, I know that part. My encouragement to you this morning, because I think there is life, there is, it changes everything what I feel that we're going to share. And it's not my gospel, it's Jesus's. And, and he is the one that brings power that changes everything. But I just want to encourage you as best you can just to, to look with a fresh lens this morning. Do I have any fans of Gladiator? Braveheart in here. It is, I've just watched both of those movies this week, so uh, for the, I don't know how many times, but um, (laughs) I was trying to watch it last night while I was putting Bennett to bed, and like, he kept trying to like, look and watch the screen, and and I kept having to like, shift the screen so that he didn't, you know, it's pretty bloody and gory, and um, I think there was a couple times when I'd forgot, and I just looked at his face, and he's like, you know, like the worst images ever for a three-year-old to go to sleep to. Um, but I don't think it was anything too bad. Uh, but it, there is, in the opening scene of Gladiator, so not that it matters what the story is about, but they're, they're, in, and they're in a huge war at the beginning, and it's the Roman Empire versus some folks in Germania. But the commander says to his soldiers that are about, in, about to ride into battle, and many of them are probably going to lose their lives. And, and he says these words, among many other very poetic and powerful words, he says, what we do echoes in eternity. 
What we do in life echoes in eternity. Angie's like, that's really nice and poetic, but that doesn't mean anything, she told me. But this morning, I want to unpack that a little bit. And I know that's not scripture, but it might help some of you to to see some of the truth of what we're endeavoring to unpack today. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Before I even get into the content of the message this morning, the Holy Spirit impressed upon me to do a couple of things. And the first is this, is to say that what we do on this earth matters. It's, there's, there's something so deep in my spirit that has been rattling around the cages and I've been trying to stir up anyone that I can with this sense of what I believe the Spirit of God is moving me to say is that what we do on this earth matters. Matthew 6, verse 9. Many of have, have memorized it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is another Angie. She said, just tell them what you're going to tell them. So this is me about to try and tell you what I'm going to tell you. You are the front line of seeing heaven come to earth. You... Not, not the person over there. You are the front line of seeing heaven come to earth. Hear this. Literally, the beginning blocks of heaven are being released through his people. Through you. That's a heavy message. I don't know about you. I feel the weight of that. I feel the stirring of that. I feel the passion behind that. But you... You are the building blocks through which the Spirit of God is literally going to continue beginning, because it's already begun when Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God when he came, which Bruce so powerfully put to us last week. But you are part of the plan that heaven is literally released through. Not in its completion, and we've talked about that. When Jesus comes back, he's going to finish the job. But he has empowered, sent, and released his people to begin. This changes everything. This changes everything. It's my message. Okay, Jesus, we thank you. (laughs) But if we catch that, we've caught what the message is this morning. Dennis Peacock says this, that Christians that are not kingdom conscious are unaware of the eternal value of what we do here on earth. John Maxwell says this, when we begin to get a glimpse of the unlimited resources at our disposal, the power of God himself, then and only then will we sense the assurance that we are fully equipped to do whatever it is that God has called us to do. And this part may go over some of your heads, and I don't mean that in that you don't understand it, but it may not mean much. But I hope you take it for what it is. I believe in you. I personally believe in you. I believe in Jill. I believe that she's been mandated by God to bring a slice of heaven to those children in Bible and schools. I believe in Ron. 
I believe that he has the passion of God stirring inside of him to make a sound. I believe in Marco, that you have a quiet sound but an assurance that you're going to raise your kids with integrity. I believe in you. I could go around to every single person. I have to be careful I don't go to too many people because I'll just start weeping. Because there is such a depth that I believe that God can truly release a unique sound of heaven through every life in here. I I can't look at Cain too much because I've been spending too much time with him. I will get emotional. Because he is releasing the sound of heaven. If you just knew a little bit. We are not here to fill time. What you do on earth matters. And I hope that we can dig into that this morning. This morning, surprise, we're looking at the kingdom of God. I want to use two stories to help illustrate this. The good thing is when you preach, you can choose the stories you like. So uh, the boys and I are in the middle of reading the Chronicles of Narnia. Do I have any Chronicles of Narnia fans? Yes. There, <laughs> me and my brother, we, we were joking. We are saying... We think we've derived more of our theology from, like, the, the Chronicles of Narnia sometimes than the Bible. We're like, we need to make sure our, our, our theology lines up with the Bible, not, like, what happened with Aslan and the dwarves, you know? Like, but, but why do I say that? There's so much power in the illustrations that C.S. Lewis uses. The, the power of allegory, the power of story that he uses to illustrate some of these principles are, I think, almost second to none of how he illustrates that. The second story, we're just going to look at a small part of the life of Joseph. Uh, and, and, and his wonderful family that loved one another, that expressed the kingdom in all they did. It, one, of the, one of the things is a side note, but I, I've had to convince the boys because I've been wanting to read it to them for a long time, but I had to show them the movies before they had buy-in into the books. So now Archer always corrects me. He's like, no, 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 no. That's not part of the movie. Can you just skip on to where, like, the real stuff happens? You know, he just, he knows where it is. But the Chronicles of Narnia follows a family that discovers a new kingdom. But first I want to jump into the story of Joseph, and I'm just going to read out the first part of his story. Genesis 37 verse 1 says, Jacob lived, there it is. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. 
Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And I'm skipping ahead a little bit. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams." But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Go, Reuben. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. I like how they, like, throw that on. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. I'm going to talk a little bit about Joseph's family and a little bit about Chronicles of Narnia and some examples that we can find there. But one of the themes that I wanted to to look at this morning as we look at the kingdom of God and as we understand the kingdom of God is through the lens of family. So this morning, it's... All of the principles that we're going to look at apply far wider and far greater than family. But family this morning is going to be one of the key ways that we look at this idea, this principle, this reality of the kingdom of God. God takes family and all of its messiness, all of its challenges, all of its glories, its joys, and its sadness. And hear this, he uses family as one of the key ways that God has set up his kingdom to be released through. Families is one of the key ways that God releases the sound of heaven that we were talking about this morning. The kingdom is relational, not random. The kingdom is relational, not random. Family. I think one of the things that many of us can take heart in is how messed up the original family that the kingdom of God has been based on is. The God of Abraham, he often would say, this isn't my wife. God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, we don't even want to touch Jacob's life, poor guy. And now Joseph. How how many of you know that Joseph's story makes some of our family stories seem tame? Even the wild ones. Joseph's story is still one of the key building blocks that the kingdom of God was built on, though. It is through family that one of the ways that it can be so powerfully released through. 
Out of this family came the building stones of the kingdom and of many nations. So this morning, no matter how messy, messed up, wonderful your family may be, we can take heart that God can still use it mightily. Family is so close to the heart of God. We relate to God as Father. Recently, my my kids have been trying to piece together, like, when we pray, we're using different words, and they're like, wait, who's the Holy Spirit? Wait, Jesus, God? Like, they're slowly, they're getting it. They're getting it. It's funny when they take it out of context and they use it wrong, but they'll get bold in their prayers, and they're like, thank you, Holy Spirit, for dying on the cross. You know, like, it's, oh, wrong guy, wrong guy. You know, like, get the right one. But at the heart of God, he is family. He sent his son to earth. Psalm 127, verse 3 says this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Your family is your heritage. But one of the things that I believe the Spirit of God was very much impressing upon me was it's too easy to be like, you know, I don't have kids that are like a baby, three and five like you, Jesse. You're perfectly primed to try and do whatever this is. My understanding of the kingdom of God is far greater than like a 10-year window that you have to impact the lives of your family. So every person in here, I want to encourage you that if you have family, if you have a brother, if you have a sister, if you have a niece, if you have an uncle, if you don't have any of those, but you have an annoying neighbor that comes over often like family, you have family. I want to encourage and release you from the burden of thinking this message is for someone else. This message is to see the kingdom released through your families. And it's not just if you have kids that are the perfect age like my kids are. My kids are already long messed up anyways. I want to encourage you with that this morning. We're going to look at other ways and spheres of life that the kingdom can be expressed in, but this morning we're starting at family. And again, if you have stepkids, adopted kids, spiritual sons and daughters, spiritual granddaughters, spiritual grandsons, great-grandsons, great-grandnieces, you have family. A great point for our note-takers that are wanting to understand the kingdom family, get ready. There's going to be a good note coming. But before I get there, the, the premise of where I'm going with, with what that verse says is everything to do with purpose, with function. It says that children are a heritage from the Lord. They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. That's, that's a fairly specific function. And I want to replace children with family members. Because I want to submit to you that you were all children at one point, and so you never lose the identity and the call to be an arrow in the hand of a warrior. So this morning, what I'm saying is that anyone that you're connected to has function, has a purpose that I want to explore this morning within the kingdom. And that purpose is like an arrow in the hand of a warrior. That's a very specific thing, what an arrow in the hand of a warrior does. It gets shot with force into things. 
and changes the nature of whatever it hits, especially if it's another human. I've been watching a lot of Gladiator, I'm telling you. We're going to explore that this morning. The first and maybe major overarching theme for our our note takers is this. We have a different purpose because we are part of a different kingdom with a different agenda. Get this as deep in your spirits as you can. We have a different purpose because we are part of a different kingdom with a different agenda. New is greater than better. Matthew 6.33 that Bruce finished off his sermon last week says this, but seek first, what? The kingdom. Seek first. The thing that's first on our minds, the thing that we're first looking to do is to seek his kingdom. And I love the second part. I don't forget the second part. I want to pay attention to the first part. But I listen to the, both parts. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do you know, I, I, I know I've talked about Joseph before, but I honestly get where the brothers were coming from. You know what I mean? Joseph it was not a nice guy. He was a brat. Joseph didn't understand the way things were. Who in you encourages the youngest sibling to come up and just tell all the older siblings in your family like they should bow down to him? That's not the strategy that I use in my family. I don't know about you. You may use that strategy. All power to you. I resonate with these brothers. But there is such a powerful principle of how there is a different kingdom at work that explains what's going on in this family. And we need to have ears to hear that. In the natural, it didn't make sense for the younger brother to be in charge. We all agree with that? In the natural, it doesn't make sense. The brothers knew how this thing is supposed to work. There is a pecking order system. The older brother inherits the greatest portion, etc. The youngest brother does the worst chores. The younger brother owes it to the older brother to do what they say. We've, my boys have been longing for stories from Angie and me. And like Angie doesn't like to share stories because Angie and her older brother made it a point to make their younger brother and sister... Um, grow. And what I mean by that is they did mean things to their younger brother and sister. Like, I mean, I don't know how, I'm just going to go there. I'm already there. She's smiling at me and like, oh Lord. Like they went into a clubhouse one time and they found that there were spiders in said clubhouse. And so they invited one of their siblings who will remain nameless to come over and join them in that clubhouse. And they said, come on in. We're going to play a game. As they went in, they shut the door and said, I just want to let you know there's a lot of spiders and you're not coming out. Archer loves those stories, and he's told us he promises he will never do them, okay? But how many of you know there's a way that this world works? There is a pecking order that makes sense in the natural. Joseph's brothers knew that. Joseph didn't understand it. There is a way that this system works, and your job is to get in line with that system because that's just the way that it is. But thankfully, thankfully, There are men and women who are not moved by the kingdom of this world. And it's rules and it's regulations, but they have dreams given by God of another kingdom. Men like Joseph, bold enough and maybe silly enough 
to declare the dreams that God had given him. Men like David, who were scorned by his older brothers, who was scorned by a nation. But I'm so thankful there were men like him who saw not the kingdom in front of him, but the kingdom inside of him was greater than the kingdom in front of him. And he just needed five smooth stones. Because hear this, in the kingdom, five smooth stones are stronger than an entire army of giants. We have a different purpose because we're part of a different kingdom with a different agenda. New is greater than better. In the natural, it didn't make sense. But in the kingdom of God, there was something that he was setting up that was so much greater than all of them could imagine in the life of Joseph. I want to come back to my Chronicles of Narnia, my nighttime reading with the boys. Because his allegory, I feel like, will help us. Just for those that may not have read it recently. This is a story about a family of four siblings. Archer told me, he's like, Dad, are you going to tell them their names? Like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, who during World War II in England are sent to the country for safety. One day, the youngest, just like Joseph, discovers a new kingdom through a door in the wardrobe of an empty spare room. In this kingdom, there are many amazing things. And Lucy, the youngest... How interesting is it that she's the youngest, just like Joseph? She comes back to old Drury, England, and can't wait to tell her family about this kingdom. Her family, who knows so much better than her about how things work, tell her she doesn't know what she's talking about. And some even mock her, Edmund. We all get mad at Edmund, right? But she knows the kingdom she has discovered, and she is unwavering in her pursuit of it. Eventually, the rest of the family finds their way into this new kingdom of Narnia, and their worlds are literally turned upside down. They go on to live in this kingdom for many years, and they become kings and queens of Narnia. After many years of this, they find their way back into England, and they're now back as children again. But they have a new mandate to take what they have learned and seen and experienced in Narnia and try to bring it to their world. Now, even though this is just an allegory, there's so much, there's such a beautiful picture of how it expresses the kingdom of God and how it works. You see, everything was ruined for the kids. I don't know if you've read the stories recently, but they're all mad. Like, we, we find them in Prince Caspian a year later. That's the book that the boys are in. They're upset because they can't enjoy anything the way they used to because they've been wrecked. They have a different purpose because they've been exposed to a different kingdom with a different agenda. They cannot be content to just live in the system of the world and what the world has to offer and the way that the world says you need to live by this order. Everything was ruined for the kids after that. What they were there to do had changed. Their identities, their purpose had changed. They had discovered how C.S. Lewis so eloquently describes in other of his books that his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is more real than our own. It's more real than our kingdom. Here's a quote from The Great Divorce, another one of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis. And it, and it ties into the verse that Bruce shared about the unshakable kingdom. Heaven is reality itself. Heaven is reality itself. 
all that is fully real is heavenly. For all that can be shaken will be shaken, and only the unshakable remains. Just going to read it one more time. Heaven is reality itself. We need to get this into our hearts because if we think that this kingdom here is what reality is, we're going to start adjusting and living and determining our purpose and our agenda and our end goal by what we can see in front of us, by what makes sense to the system of this world. But if we understand that heaven is reality itself and all things truly real are heavenly, we will then be able to start expressing, building, releasing the sound of heaven that cannot be shaken. Because everything that will be shaken, anything that can be shaken will be shaken. The children had discovered in Narnia that they were kings and queens, and they had the role of being in close relationship with God, Aslan in the story. They had, there were adventures to be had for the kingdom, lands to be explored, people to be established, and life to be lived. I just want to share um, a specific passage from, from, the, story, from the, the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle. There's a scene close to the end of the series in the final book, The Last Battle. And it's a story, so The Last Battle just tells the end of Narnia, or the end of the world, if you will. And it, and it shows them going into heaven, or new Narnia, new heaven, new earth. And in this scene, where all of the main characters have stepped through another door of a stable, and they find themselves in this new Narnia, in this heaven. It is amazing. They're absolutely astounded. It's more beautiful than they'd ever seen, etc., etc. You can read the book. It's great. But they find a group of dwarves who, even though they are with them in heaven, they are with them in the middle of this new kingdom, they seem to be unable to see that they are, in fact, truly there. I just want to read this out. It's powerful. I love love the title of the chapter of this passage. It says, How the Dwarves Refused to Be Taken In. It's powerful. How the dwarves refuse to be taken in. We can, we can substitute it with how the Christians refuse to be taken in. With how the Northways refuse to be taken in. I don't want my name to be in there. Aslan raised his head and shook his mane. Instantly, a glorious feast appeared on the dwarf's knees. Pies and tongues, I wouldn't want a tongue, and pigeons, and truffles, and ices, and each dwarf had a goblet of wine in his right hand, but it wasn't much use. They began eating and drinking greedily enough, but it was clear that they couldn't taste it properly. They thought that they were eating and drinking only sort of things you might find in a stable. One said he was trying to eat hay, and another said he'd found a raw cabbage leaf. And they raised golden goblets of rich red wine to their lips and said, Ugh, fancy drinking dirty water out of a trough, a donkey's been at. Never thought we'd come to this. But very soon every dwarf began suspecting that every other dwarf had found something nicer than he had. And they started grabbing and snatching and went on to quarreling. Till in a few minutes there was a free fight and all the good food was smeared on their faces and clothes or trodden underfoot. But when at last they sat down to nurse their black eyes and their bleeding noses, they all said, Well, at any rate, there's no humbug here. We haven't let anyone take us in. The dwarfs are for the dwarfs. You see, said Aslan, 
They will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their own minds, yet they are in that prison and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. But come, children, I have other work to do. If we do not understand that we are part of a different kingdom, we will not be able to take on the brand new purpose that comes with that kingdom. We will not be able to realize and utilize the resources of that kingdom because those resources come with purpose, not to our own end, but to that of Jesus. We can still see ourselves in the stable when we in truth are in the middle of his kingdom and his provision and his purpose. We have a different purpose because we are part of a different kingdom with a different agenda. New is greater than better. Just seeing how we're going for time. Cool. How many of you know that the Great Commission starts at home? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I was listening to a podcast last night. I should have been asleep, but it was, it was too good, by Dutch Sheets. And he was unpacking some of these principles and some of these, these things. And I was just, my spirit was stirred again, and I could just feel the Holy Spirit on it. He was talking about the word disciple and the ecclesia and the role that all of those things play of what God really intended for his church to be and to do. But this morning, as we look at the lens of the kingdom of God through family, we need to understand that it starts at home. The Great Commission, all nations. The great thing is your home is part of a nation. So it's included in that. It's a great starting point. But this morning, if you take nothing out of the entire series of five that we're going to do, my heart is that you would take what I'm about to share. There's a commissioning that needs to happen in the body of Christ. It's not a commissioning of an elder or of a pastor in a church. But there is a commissioning of every single person in every single seat in this building. There is a commissioning of every family represented in this building. My heart I'm quiet because if I'm not quiet, I'd start shouting because I'm so passionate. Not shouting at you, shouting with you. And we're going to make a sound that that all of heaven, heaven would praise with and hell would shudder at. But it's so important what's in my spirit to share. That there needs to be a commissioning of the body of Christ. I love that I get to share the word of God and I believe that he's called me to do that. But the call of God on every single one of your lives cannot be underestimated. I sense the Holy Spirit so strongly. Do not underestimate the call of God on your life. Do not underestimate the sound of heaven that you are called to release. Not me, you. Every single person in this building, no matter how hard the heart, 
no matter how wise you may be in your own eyes, there's a calling so much greater than what you can see in this kingdom. In his kingdom. The commissioning is this. We often look at what the role of the church is. And the church is not this institution. The church is the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12 is so powerful, and I don't have time to unpack it, but I want to commission you as a starting point. If you've been commissioned before, take it as a high five as you're running your race. What is the purpose of the church? It's to equip the saints for works of service. But do you know we have an hour to do that, maybe some home group time, and maybe we can run a couple of workshops. But where you live your life 24-7 with your families is where the true equipping the saints for works of service happens. There needs to be an uprising in the body of Christ to do Ephesians 4.11, to be commissioned for apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, This morning, would you seek the Lord this week on what he has equipped you to be so you can start releasing the sound of heaven in your families? I love that you come to church and I love that we attend church. But if we aren't doing that mandate, being prophets, apostles, teachers, pastors in our own home, we've completely missed what the kingdom of God is all about. This is a releasing station. This is a sending station. This morning, if you've never been prayed for to be a pastor, I'm releasing you to go do that right now. If you've never been prayed for to step into the office of evangelist, be released in the name of Jesus. May there be apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors raised up in this place, in their families, and raising up other versions of that. It's not just you walking out your calling. It's you releasing others into that same mandate. The mandate to release heaven here on earth. There's a commissioning that needs to take place in the body of Christ. Others exist to reflect, reveal, and release the portion of God's heart that he has put in them. The portion of heaven that he has put in them. You see, Joseph's brothers didn't like the idea that they had to serve their younger brother. But do you find it so interesting that they're willing to bow before a stranger later on? God was setting up. What he was setting up was not to tear down their personal kingdoms. But rather he was trying to incorporate it into his, which is the very thing that would make their kingdom an unshakable one. We're talking about the 12 tribes of Israel here, guys. We're talking about people that had inheritance for days but they could only see with the natural and they saw whatever's happening here is not what I like. You're trying to take away from my kingdom when God was trying to establish the strength of their kingdoms. We are citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20. And as such, we have a different function, a different purpose, a different end goal. Here's, Here's some heavy notes for those note takers. Our mission is to partner with God to see his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is to see heaven come to earth. Hear this. See if you can put this in a picture. Our role is to be puzzle pieces and release more puzzle pieces that are eventually going to equate the whole of heaven. 
Is that not an exciting journey for you? It doesn't mean you survive until you die. It doesn't mean you spend your whole life accumulating stuff for you. It means that you are actually part of building something that will never be shaken, part of the eternal. That changes everything of what we put our our energies to and how we put our energies to it. Once you've stepped through the door of another kingdom, you're ruined. Because you have to come and express the reality of a greater kingdom where you are. Your family then is to be an expression of the kingdom. A portion of the body of Christ that through generational transfer raises up, equips, and releases agents of transformation that we are prepared, that are prepared to release the sound of heaven that God has created them to uniquely release. That's so good I'm going to say it again. If you want to know what God has called for your family, I'm telling you, meditate on this. Your family is to be an expression of the kingdom, a portion of the body of Christ that through generational transfer raises up, equips, and releases agents of transformation that are prepared to release the sound of heaven that God has created them to uniquely release. My heart here is that you would understand the gravity that you have been equipped with the sound of heaven inside of you that no one else can release. This isn't a message of saying, my gosh, I'm nowhere near this. It's actually a message of, my gosh, I had no idea how much I was capable of. There was so much more in you than you could possibly understand. But it's only once we step into his kingdom. The brothers couldn't stand what Joseph was doing until much later. Joseph himself couldn't understand. We can't understand in the natural. This is why we need spiritual eyes to see his kingdom. We need spiritual ears to hear his kingdom. We need to be on our face in worship to be getting the identity of Christ. We need to be on our knees in worship, in prayer, so that we're getting downloads from him of where, how, when, why. Because in this kingdom, what you do will not last unless you plug into him. But there is a mandate on your families to release the sound of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You must not downplay your role. Spiritual mothers and fathers, the spiritual grandmothers and granddaughters, your spiritual ones, your kids, your uncles, your aunts, your nieces, your cousins are missing out on experiencing heaven if we don't release our sound and we don't release them as agents of transformation in this kingdom to usher in a new kingdom, to express it, to reveal it, to release it. It's a heavy mandate, but it's one that we don't have to do in our own strength. But there is a kingdom out there, and we have all of heaven's resources at our disposal. This is not man striving in our own. There is an unshakable kingdom that we, has already been inaugurated. May we be a people that step out into this. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning... Maybe some very familiar con- concepts, but Jesus, I pray that you would bring a supernatural revelation to what it means to understand the kingdom of God. 
Father, I pray that every barrier and any, every principality and every demonic force that has set itself up against the knowledge of who you are and the resources and the identity that we find in your kingdom are demolished. Right now, Father, may your people receive the commissioning of the Great Commission, but understand what that means is to create disciples, to create apostles, teachers, prophets. Lord, may our families be like arrows in our hands where we only serve to shoot them further into establishing your kingdom. Lord, we can only do it through you. Commission your people in the mighty name of Jesus. We bless you. We love you. We want to receive your word this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys.